So then you sat down in these two chairs, mm-hmm. and what blew everyone's mind, everyone's because I don't know how this is possible, they put a sheet over you, and then when he pulled it away, dude, you guys were not there. Like, I showed you a picture. You oh. and that lady were gone. What did that, did you, what did that feel like? Like, where did you go? I stayed there. Dude, you weren't there. You were not there. No, I stayed there. <laughs> I was in the seat, right here. We were like, I was like, you... How much bet he went to a different dimension? Justin, what exactly was that? That was a moment that I recorded for the show that was um, an instance where me and my boys experienced wonder. It was amazing. I can't wait to get into that. Well, here we are at the beginning of season four, episode 19 of Design Of. Justin, can you believe it? I can't. You know, this is going to be our inaugural recap episode where we're going to talk about the things we've experienced in the season before. So think about this really quick. So for three seasons, we have witnessed a rock and roll legend. We've talked theology. We've met one of the leading uh, storytellers from Pixar. We've learned how to be a ninja. And we've even, you know, kind of explored what it'd be like to be a true to French writer. Yeah, and we've talked magic and illusions. Um, that may be one of my favorites, especially when you hear what happened. Here we are. I can't believe it. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm so grateful to have been doing this with you. It's been an awesome adventure. Oh, the pleasure's all mine. Quick, where was your favorite place we've been over the past three seasons? Oh, Pixar Animation Studios, for sure. How about you? Um, yeah, same trip, but um, Facebook HQ in Northern California. Yeah, that was incredible. Well, Wills, let's start with season one, episode one, Ryan O'Neill, Sleeping at Last. Beautiful. Yeah. By the way, why is Wills always so far away when yeah, you and I are so talking? Just, I'm not that far. I, think I mean, I, mean, kinda, I feel like Ryan and I are a little more intimate. Like, you can tell, he can, don't you feel more connected with me right now? Deeply. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, intimately. <laughs> I just don't want to disrupt whatever's happening. Vibe. I saw what was happening. I wanted to <laughs> yeah, stay over okay. here where it's safe. <laughs> When so can sense the chemistry <laughs> yeah. in the room. For those of you hardcore fans of the show, you'll notice that this same exact interaction took place on our first episode. Let's look back to that. We're really close to each other right now. We're really close. Are you I'm okay never... me looking into your eyes like this? I, I prefer it. Yeah, okay, that's good. That's I, good. I, I, I'm sitting intimate. here on the other couch and I'm like feeling a little left out at this moment that you're having. <laughs> no, well, you know, well, we can, yeah, we can Maybe switch seats and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was likely finishing up Atlas Year One, I think. Two years ago it would have been, yeah. Either It would have been either right before Atlas Year Two or right at the end of Atlas Year One. Yeah, so how do you feel, you know, those two projects went? Yeah, um, they're, they're like the, the most creatively satisfying things I've ever been able to be a part of because I get to like, I think I explained before, but everything is thematic writing so at the beginning of every song there's there's like a, a thing to study or a thing to research and a thing to get excited about um, and I just find that like not having that entirely blank canvas is just really helpful so like rules and limitations have been like the driving force behind like both Atlas year um, projects yeah so um, so year one I, I'm super happy the further away I get from it the the more space like I I, I can I can hear it and be probably a little bit more proud. I think as I'm letting go of each of these songs, I start to um, I start to question everything, and I'm you know I, I hopefully get it to a point where uh, I, I feel 100% satisfied. But that's never ever been the case. So <laughs> I have to just just use the criteria of am, am I proud of the work I'm putting out? And um, but the further I uh, the further 
I guess the the more time that passes, the the, the clearer I can see the, the hard work that was put into it. Yeah. So I'm very very proud of Atlas Year One. Atlas Year Two has been going on for a little while. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I'm I'm knee deep into it and um, having a lot of fun, but it's um, it is creatively taxing and inspiring at the same time. So now you're working on the Enneagram series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you just released probably the best enneagram number. You just released number three, which of <laughs> the course, absolute best. I'm a three, <laughs> and right. uh, if I remember right, you both you knuckleheads are nines, right? You nine as yeah. well. Yeah, oh, eagerly so awaiting the nine. I'm <laughs> it's like, like I have a long years. way to go. <laughs> <laughs> At least eight more years. Because <laughs> nine, for those of who don't know, nine is the last of the enneagram numbers, <clears> and right. you're doing it in consecutive. Yeah, say the best for last. So. So you're now theoretically working on number four. Yep, I'm, I'm right in the middle of uh, writing number four, and um, that one's that one's really tricky because if you know anything about the Enneagram, the type four is like the the individualist. So it, I want it to sort of stand out in the in the crowd of these nine songs, um, but at the same time, I'm trying to write like nine redemptive stories, mm. uh, not just nine caricatures of, of the Enneagram. Um, so. I'm trying really hard to figure out like how to make it unique and creative, but at the same time, uh, where it sounds like integrated and like a healthy version of that type, not just strange for the sake of being strange. So basically, what's coming up for you in the future, yeah. uh, from here right, is that you have these um, six more Enneagram songs yeah. to do. Yep, and then that completes Atlas Year Two. Um, I don't know if I mentioned that earlier, but Atlas Year Two, the the Enneagram series is within that because basically the Year Two is all about like involuntary human development. So it's the things we're born with that we don't get to decide. Um, so the Enneagram sort of ends that that segment or chapter of, of Atlas. And then are you concurrently doing your sort of side project of, you know, natural occurrences? or Yeah, so astronomy will keep going, I think, until I'm done with it. Okay. <laughs> Just like whenever I feel like I'm, I'm no longer inspired by space. Um, and I actually, I like the idea of that one being um, just kind of going as long as... Uh, as as long as I feel up for doing the job, yeah, so stuff that is interesting keeps happening. Yeah, right? and yeah. I mean it does every year, so there um, there should be something. And it's kind of fun. I get to I kind of pick and choose, so I'm not like tied to it. If if there's like a meteor shower coming up that doesn't seem all that exciting to me, I, I will I will skip that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, I'll keep doing that. And then Atlas Year Three will. I'm not sure exactly when it'll begin, but that's uh, the theme for that one will be voluntary human development. So it's what oh, we do cool. with all of our the things we were born with, with all the ingredients that we were given. So dream, love, create, all those types of things. So it'll be really fun. I'm excited. Yeah, it'll be exciting. <clears throat> so, and I, I kind of pictured the whole project as a as a trilogy. If a, The point was basically to do like a mac, like go from macro to micro. So like the mm-hmm. first year is, and it tells the story of like the origins of all things. So it, it, the biggest concept ever, darkness, <laughs> all the way to like, you know, um, breathing. So it's kind of that's that's the that's the story arc, and I think it'll be a trilogy. Oh, that's great! Well, hey man, thank you so much for uh, helping us kick off our fourth season. Yeah. Congrats on fourth season! Yeah. I am not only um, honored to have been a part of the show, but I I love the podcast. You guys well, are doing a great you. job. I mean, what? I think you're number three out of the eight listeners, so I appreciate that. Not including our mothers. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, Hi, mom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I also want to say too that you know your music is been the backbone of our show oh, thanks. now and awesome. 20 episodes in which is really special That's and people really, cool. really have enjoyed 
your music as part of Thank the fabric yes. of the show. I mean, we love That's when awesome. people ask us where the music's from, and <clears throat> we just tell them we create it. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It's actually just this app. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, we know it sounds bad, but we're no, working on it. Uh, uh, thanks for reminding yeah, me of that. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks yeah. for that. No, it's really, it really special because I think what one of the, th- the things I love about your music is it really kind of gets people, I think, in the in the right sort of posture to listen to yeah. the podcast. That's awesome. space. And then um, Wills has done a great job, um, you know, kind of using some of your songs at certain points to help tell the story. So that's really cool. Mm-hmm. The Pete Doctor interview, guys, it's one of my favorite things ever. I've actually listen to that like five times now <laughs> oh that's awesome yeah. we were talking to Pete on the way over here yeah I think that was my favorite and by far my most nervous episode other today. than like right now right yeah. I mean, I, mean I, yeah. I get it right I totally right. understand um yeah I would be too I, that would, that's 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 pretty that's pretty uh it's a rare interview to get yeah. for sure well plus he's like seven feet tall so when he walks really? in yeah. he's tall no he's super tall I mean he's <clears> got to be six 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 seven easy you're yeah. tall dude how tall are you I'm six four, and he was at least two to three inches taller wow. than me. So you're looking up to him, and and literally and figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, That's true. No, thank you for that. That's awesome, man. Thank you for letting me be part of the show. Yeah, you best. Now we're going back to season one, episode three, with Christian Vandeveld. Justin, what's the latest on Christian these days? Man, he has continued to do some amazing things in cycling. He is uh, one of the main. Uh, commentators for the Tour de France and uh, he's moved his family out east and what's crazy is I finally after all these years uh, was able to buy a Peloton and I was going through to try to find a structure and there he was Um, so we've been texting back and forth and he was going to be on this episode he's currently in South Africa doing some rides so um, uh, I'm sure we'll hear from him you know here pretty soon Justin Narducci CEO of Lifewater International was featured in Season 1, Episode 4. Justin continues to lead LifeWater in helping marginalized communities get access to safe water all around the world. The two Justins got together to talk about what's next for LifeWater and the role that Justin is playing in the nonprofit's vision. It's been a couple of years since, since we were able to um, do this and get in front of the microphone together, so why don't you share with me, if you can give me a snapshot, I know so many things have been happening for you at LifeWater, you know, what are some of the things that are going on right now that you're most proud of or, or that are really exciting you? Sure. So, yeah, it has been a few years. Um, I think some of the biggest things that our team has been able to do or to accomplish these past few years um, is really take uh, this model, we call it our healthy village, and um, try to take it to some level of scale. So we just celebrated our 100th healthy village which was a pretty significant milestone for us. We thought it might come a few years later than it actually came. And, it's a, it's uh, amazing. So how many people on average are, are in a village? I know it varies. Yeah, I would say like a 1,000 probably. Wow. So, um, and there's a number of things that they have to do, a number of things our staff have to do, and it's, um, it's a pretty significant undertaking for everybody. And not all villages sort of reach that level. Um, but we're really proud of that. Uh, we've had about 10,000 healthy homes. And those are the things that every household makes these small incremental improvements and we track them in real time. So this includes uh, 
proper hygiene sanitation practices and then also taking care of the water source that you help them implement yeah so there's uh there's like six criteria that they have to do build a build a latrine use a hand washing station at home store water safely uh, have a rubbish pit, um, use a hand washing station, and um, it takes about six to nine months for families to adopt these behaviors. And then, if they practice them regularly, then they become certified as a healthy home, and we track those in our in our data system. So um, that's been a big deal for us. About ten thousand of those, and uh, counting, we are, have been adding like four hundred a week. Wow. Of the last few months. And those are things that people in the community do themselves. So we just serve as a facilitator, a catalyst, an instructor, but they have to. And these do are all uh, um, things that we can do as donors to help support that work, right? Um, this work does not happen, of course, if people don't support what's happening. Right. So, yeah, generally we can't, can't do very much without money. So. Um, <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure that you said that in the last yeah. podcast, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, there's a correlation yeah. between yeah. Uh, the resourcing and um, the actual output. So, I think at LifeWater we have about 100 staff now. So it's been wow. it's been a pretty significant growth year for us. There's a lot of things that we're trying to do better, um, but there's also a lot of things that are working pretty well, and we're really happy to be able to serve in the uh, communities where we are. Well, we had a great meeting today. One of the things that I was cracking up about is we broke for lunch, and the first thing you said is, all right, everyone, let's go wash our hands. Let's go wash our hands. <laughs> yeah, you'd be surprised how few people wash their hands. Yeah. So, which is disgusting. Since this is a little update here, is, is that the the lesson we want to leave people with hey everyone go wash, wash your, hands. your hands yeah i i think uh the lesson that we want to leave people with is um that a lot of our public health our global public health um disease burden falls on vulnerable people who practice unhealthy habits and um there's small changes that they can make that really help their children to thrive much better than they would otherwise Hand washing is one of them. Building a latrine is a little more complicated than hand washing. Right. Using a latrine is even more complicated than building one. And um, getting a whole village to use their own latrines is. And when you say get used to the practice of kind of changing the culture to go use yeah. this versus you, you which have been doing for generations. Right. Yeah. Well, hey. So yeah, hand washing is good though, just as a public service announcement. <laughs> and you don't wash your hands enough. I. You know what? That's. I don't think that's true. But. Um, it's true. Are you actually counting and watching me now? I mean, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, listen, I, I really appreciate you uh, giving me a few minutes. Um, it's it's been great to spend the day with you. I know you got to run because you are going tonight to. Yeah, I'm going to Africa. So um, if I don't if I don't miss my flight, I'll be headed over to the motherland tonight. We're looking at a new location in Uganda. So, um, it should be fun. That's exciting, Justin. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show again. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Justin, who could forget our conversation with Alex Cooper? Uh, it was, again, one of those moments where, you know, you and I are sitting together and we're in Alex Cooper's, you know, kind of Hall of Fame room where all his albums and awards and pictures. Cars and Yeah, pictures with presidents are up on the wall and, you know, he's kind of making, you know, fun of our mic and uh, it was a great uh, moment. One story that we never shared is like, we got Alex in trouble that day. We did. His wife had said, hey, you only have this much time. And we went way over that time. He had a family commitment, right? Yeah. yeah Somewhere to go? Yeah. And when we got scolded, which we deserved. This might be a surprise to you, but Alice has not really slowed down since our last interview. No, I mean, I think he's actually sped up. Alice is now playing in a 
really a rock and roll super group called Hollywood Vampires with none other than Johnny Depp and Joe Perry from Aerosmith. And the band is touring Europe this spring and summer. So once they come back to the States, definitely got to check them out. Yeah, well, and coming up here, he's going to be on the sort of reboot of Jesus Christ Superstar. That's right. And I think he's playing King Herod in it. That's right, yeah. Just it's totally Alice. Yeah, yeah, totally Alice Cooper. Jesus, I am overjoyed to meet you face to face. And then there's also John Legend as Jesus and Sarah Bareilles as Mary Magdalene. Yeah, he he's just amazing the the parts and roles that he um, ends up doing. It's it's pretty pretty remarkable. Now for something completely different. <laughs> for many people, one of their favorite episodes was when we headed out to San Francisco and hung out at the Pixar Studios with director Pete Docter. Yeah, that was a dream come true to meet not only one of my favorite filmmakers, but one of my favorite storytellers. Yeah. So I sent him an email to see if he had any time to contribute to the show, and as it will come to no surprise, that um, he just said, hey, hope you guys are well. Uh, nothing is jumping out um, that I'd want to share about Wonder, but, you know, check back with me in a couple of years. That's an email of a very busy man right yeah, there. Yeah, and since it takes several years to do a movie, um, we'll, we'll hit, hit him up in two years from now. Yeah. His last film was a huge success, Inside Out. Uh, won an Academy Award for Best Animated Feature, Golden Globe for Best Animated Feature, MTV Movie Award, and many others. So uh, look for more from Pete in the coming years. We're excited to see what he comes up with. Yeah, and I think Coco, uh, one of our newest favorite movies, just won an Oscar. And Will's on Season 3, Episode 12. We met our first American Ninja Warrior, Karen Sabo. And I checked with Karen, and she is still pursuing her dream of being an American Ninja Warrior. This past season, Karen was invited as an official pro athlete to the Phoenix and San Diego stops. And right after that, she went to Haiti and brought American Ninja Warrior to the orphans and were able to you know, hang out with them and, and show them this new exciting sport. Very cool. I don't know that there's anyone who is as fierce and as intense... You know, Justin, our second most downloaded episode was season two, episode seven with Father Richard Rohr. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. But do you remember how beautiful that day was? Just, you know, kind of hanging out with him and uh, just talking to him about spirituality and, and uh, you know, who we are. I, I thought it was, you know, uh, one of those experiences I'll never forget. Yeah, it was really, really special. And right before we were speaking with him, he was about to release his latest book, Divine Dance. That has since been released. You and I have both read it. What'd you think? Well, I thought it was brilliant, but it took me a while to get through it because... Um, it's deep. Yeah, it is, it is meaty. Here's Richard outlining some of the key elements of his most recent book, Divine Dance. I believe we are trapped in what I call a Valentine's Day notion of love, which is almost entirely infatuation, romantic attraction, which, as you know, cannot be sustained long haul. And here's again where I think we need a good understanding of God to define love correctly, if God is love. And what we see in the Trinity is uh, God is relationship itself. So it's how you connect, not what you connect with, but how you connect with anything. I think we have the quote in uh, the book from Teresa of Avila, who says, once you get it, even a sardine can convert you. It's how you relate to the sardine that is salvation, not any object in, in itself. So when you relate to something center to center, 
subject to subject. You allow it dignity and you grant yourself that same dignity. That's what it means to know something center to center. Now that's really contemplation. That's what a contemplative is. We go beyond the superficial of skin color and gender identity and all these stuff and say image of God. So let me try, I think I have in the book that quote from a 12th century uh, monk in Paris, Richard of St. Victor, probably a name you've never heard of. But he's one of the great teachers on the Trinity where it's still alive in the 11th and 12th century. And he says, for God to be good, God can be one. You can have a good God. For God to be loving, there has to be two. Because love is always a relationship. God cannot be loving if, if God is a monad, if God is a solitary. You know? Once you think about that, wow, that expands my notion of what love really is. But then he goes further. He says, for God to be joy or happiness, God has to be three. And uh, those of you who are married men or married people probably can understand this. When two people are excited about the same thing together, even a sunset or a meal or anything, that's what makes you happy. You, you can't enjoy happiness apart from a relationship and enlightened eyes that allow the object to give you joy, to give you purpose. So uh, if we're gonna say God is love, Richard of St. Victor would say, God has to be at least happy love. God has to be three. Interesting, huh? Just another window on this infinite mystery. Wills, our next interview, he is just one of those teachers that I wish I would have had in college, but it, I'm so happy that he's sort of a teacher of ours now. That's right. David Gould, a professor at the University of Iowa, really tries to help his students explore um, story, wonder, creativity, innovation. And I, I love the fact that he gave you a few minutes uh, last time I was in town, you know, helping us explore ways to make rules when I am better and give you a quick update. So Dave, tell us a little bit about um, how you've been occupying yourself over this last year. Well, I, I've continued to, uh, to pursue the larger vision of how to make higher education more meaningful and community engaged. And uh, I think the most kind of recent evolution or experiment, if you will, has been to take my group of students to bring them to a 700 uh, seat uh, theater in downtown Iowa City and invite the entire city to join us. Um, we, uh, we attracted over 3,000 people this fall for my class, an eight-week, six-week for the city um, event. And, uh, and the idea was really to explore not only how does higher education educate young people, but how does a community learn and how does a community become smarter and how does it use that knowledge to not only inform the individuals that are part of that, uh, their neighbors, but the most vulnerable among us. And so that's where the experiments have gone. Oh, excellent. Wills, that takes us to season three, episode two. Uh, one of our favorite authors, Kelsey Timmerman, you know, he uh, travels the world to try to figure out where things come from. What is it that you remember most from our first interview with him? I was really fascinated by um, 
the stories that he would tell about trying to understand the manufacturing origins of his clothing uh, for his book, Where Am I Wearing? And just some of the interactions with local people that uh, really left an impression on him. Hey guys, it's Kelsey, just chiming in with a bit of an update. It's been a pretty busy last 12 months. I'm working on my third book, which is called Where Am I Giving? A Global Adventure Exploring How to Use Your Gifts and Talents to Make a Difference. And when this book first started off in my head, it was kind of going to be the figure out what the good person equation was. Do you volunteer this much of your time? Do you give this much of your money to causes like this locally and globally equals you're a good person. So I started off, that's what I was looking for. And it turns out um, that as I got into it, I visited uh, Myanmar, which is the most generous country on the planet, despite that there's a genocide happening there. I visited India, where I sought out uh, Gandhi's great-grandson and talked to him some. And just my, my, my definition, my goal of looking at giving kind of broadened to look at cultures of giving, um, benefits of giving. And I'm still going to try to take a shot at the good person equation, but I think it's going to be a lot broader than it was before. Uh, what was really fun about this trip, um, I went to, where did I go? Myanmar, India, Cambodia, back to Kenya, where I would travel with Justin some, and Zambia and Tanzania. And I also write about travels over the last 15 years in, the, in this new book. But what was really fun um, was checking in on some people I'd met over the last over the last 10 years uh so i went back to kenya where i was there in 2007 2010 i'm sorry and um hung out with some folks i met and just to, to see their lives progress and the challenges that they've overcome they still face and more than anything just to let them know or just to show that i haven't forgotten about them um so i think that's that's a lot of it for me too is it's kind of a uh, I worry that people think that I just show up and then I talk to them and maybe I write their story, maybe I don't, and then I just don't think about them ever again. So it was real great to in Cambodia to do the same thing um, and also in Kenya. So I've been working on that. Also with the Facing Project, uh, which is our, the community storytelling nonprofit I co-founded in Muncie, Indiana. We spread to about 75 communities across the country now. Over the past 12 months, uh, we added it up and this is kind of a crazy number but we had thousands of people volunteer as writers and storytellers and actors and as organizers. And uh, we added up all those volunteer hours and it equaled almost a million dollars of volunteer hours. So the way you calculate that is every volunteer hour equals $24 to a nonprofit organization. So um, now uh, this is Facing Project is our first full year as a nonprofit. We have maybe thousands of dollars, right? but we have almost unlimited supply of, of, of sweat equity and passion and volunteers, which has really been great. Um, so yeah, there's Where Am I Giving? It comes out in August, has an amazing book cover designed by the good folks at Rule 29. Thanks, Justin, looks great. And the Facing Project continues to chug along. So hope you guys are doing well. That's my update. And Justin, um, I'm getting this in right in 90 minutes before my deadline, which means I don't have to shave every hair on my body. So I hope you guys are well, and I'll talk to you later. In the past three seasons of Design Of, one of our most popular episodes was dealing with wonder uh, with magician and illusionist Nate Staniforth. And back at the very beginning of this episode, you heard an excited clip from Justin and his two sons, Jackson and Quinn, right after they left a Nate Staniforth magic show. 
All right, so Nate, thanks for being on the show. And I want to talk about the experience that I had coming to see you for the first time live. I can't believe it took me so long to come see you. But before we go there, I would love to hear um, what you've been up to. Your book's out, right? Yeah, you know, we're recording this in March. And uh, in the beginning of January, my book came out uh, in the U.S. And so for the past two months, I've been touring all over the country to help spread the word about it. And uh, it's been a crazy couple of months, but um, I, think it, I think it's gone well so far. Okay, I wish we had video on right now because I'm going to tell you something. I have absolutely loved it. I'm halfway through it. <laughs> Thank you. And in fact, you know, it was funny. I think last time we were together, I was making fun of you. I was like, Nate, why has it taken so long for you to write your book? And then I read it, and man, you have really beautifully crafted um, at least the, the first several chapters I've read. Maybe it goes downhill from there. I don't know. No, I mean, the first draft is easy. You know, it's like you just you, you throw out as much as you can. But the reason it took so long is that once you have... Once you have something on the page, then the, the question becomes, how do you refine it and refine it and rewrite it and, and get it so it's ready for, you know, for the audience? And that just took longer than I expected. So have you enjoyed the book process in general, looking back on it so far? I don't know. I don't... Uh, I think I enjoy it now that it's over. Or, you know, it's over for the most part. But there are so many days where, you know, I'd sit at my desk for eight hours and... All I'd get was, you know, deleting what I wrote the day before, so. Well, I know, um, you know, being a fellow um, author as well, um, I, uh, I love the process of creating it. I was actually terrified when I realized that other people were going to read it. Right. And I did, for some reason, I don't know if you had this experience, I didn't think about that. I just was like, hey, I'm writing a book. This is a cool thing. And then I was like, oh, crap, people are going to read this thing. You know, I think for me, I had, I had almost the opposite problem. You know, my background is as a live performer. And so I know that during a live show, I can watch the audience and see how they're responding. And it was really disorienting for me when I was writing because I would spend a whole day uh, working on it and not have any idea whether or not it would get through to anyone or not. And so it took me a long time to wrap my mind around this idea that with a live show, you can go out and, and watch the audience respond to it and make adjustments in real time. And with a book, you have to really change the focus to just saying, you know, exactly what it is that you want to say and then just trust that it will work for the reader. Well, I want to say again, thank you for uh, um, signing my copy. I had to twist your arm on that one. I appreciate it. <laughs> no, it's all right. Thank <laughs> you very much. <laughs> I wanted to focus on your final moment of the night. Yeah. And what I love, and you and I have talked about this, and we talked about this in our first show together, this concept of wonder and this concept of um, having these moments where that ideally people experience that and, and kind of feel that for whatever that means to them. And then in the show you would basically had said to everyone and, and correct me if I, I'm not setting this up right, Nate, but you know, you know, we've done this together when two volunteers come up on stage and, um, you know, kind of experience ideally some wonder together. 
And so um, you pick Quinn, which it's funny because right before you picked him, we were trying to get him to raise his hand. And so we did, and you picked him. So um, thank you for that. That was hilarious. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't make the connection between you guys until after the show. And I, I realize now that, you know, maybe it looked like we set this up, but like, you know, we didn't prearrange it. I had no idea. He had no idea he'd be coming up on stage. No. And I fact, in, in fact, I assumed that you did not know it was Quinn because I, um, what I know of you is that you would, you wouldn't do it because you wouldn't want anyone later to find out that we knew each other and then yeah, have them nice. doubt, have them doubt that. So, um, I kind of love that you didn't know it. Okay, Wills, let me set the stage of the illusion. So Quinn gets called up on stage, and he sits down, and it's Quinn and another young lady from the audience. And he basically says, hey, Quinn, I want you to um, grab the book that I just wrote and go outside and, um, uh, you know, read it so so you can't hear what's going on. Right? So he goes, you know, outside. And so Nate then... Um, proceeds to tell all of us that um, he's going to tell Quinn that when he comes back in that he gave a number to the other audience member and she's going to telepathically tell him what it is and whatever number comes to mind he needs to blurt it out Okay. and we're all supposed to go crazy to make sure that he believes that he picked the right number Right. right? and then after that he's going to do this trick where he's going to have them both sitting in a chair. He's going to cover them with a sheet. And then while he's covering Quinn, the other um, person on stage is going to run off and hide behind stage. So when they pull the sheets off, Quinn's going to look and see that she's no longer there. And then we're all supposed to go crazy and just be like, what? Where's Quinn? And like, So it looks like he disappeared as well. Yeah, like we don't see either of them, right? And to set the illusion up even more, what he does is he clears the stage and then holds the two sheets up behind the chair as if they're gone. And he has everyone in the audience take a picture. So when Quinn walks by or just is in disbelief, we can all show him a picture of Nate standing on stage with no one in the chairs. Very It's like a brilliant setup. So it went off as he intended? Well, Quinn came back in, right? He sat Mm -hmm. down and he was telling Quinn, hey, you know, explain the allusion to him or the trick and said, hey, pick the number. And so, um, you know, Quinn waited for a few minutes and then was like shrugged his shoulders and then picked the number and everyone went crazy. And he was, the look on his face, he was astonished like, whoa, I really heard the number. Telepathically. Yeah, I heard the number in my mind. And that set up the following illusion. But the general idea is that I want to give the entire audience the feeling of amazing someone. I want them to see how it feels to be a magician giving one person the experience of wonder. So it's this piece that flips the entire dynamic between performer and audience on its head rather than a moment in the show, like all of the other moments in the show where it's one person amazing an entire room I wanted to flip that upside down and have the entire room work together to amaze one person. It's the unsolved question with this illusion because there's a world of difference between fooling someone and astonishing them. And, you know, everyone, 
everyone can appreciate the experience of astonishment and wonder, but nobody experience nobody appreciates the experience of deception. You know, no one likes to be tricked. And so the the fundamental question on which this whole piece um, you know, pivots is: Can you structure it in a way to make it feel wonderful rather than just deceptive? And you know. <laughs> Having done it now only a few times, I feel like 50% of the time I get it right and 50% of the time um, I'm not there yet. And, you know, I don't, it's like there's this line that you never cross with the people who you bring up on stage in a magic show. And that line is doing anything that would ever make them regret that they joined you on stage, right? It, it has to be a good experience for anyone who's brave enough to join you on stage. Or it's a terrible idea, right? You shouldn't you shouldn't take advantage of people who come up on, on stage to join you for the show. And, you know, I've worked really hard in the rest of my show to make sure that everyone who participates has a better experience than the people in the audience. And my, it, you know, I love the response that this piece gets from the crowd, but all of my reservation comes from the worry that I don't, I haven't built all of those safety mechanisms in place yet with this piece to guarantee that the person on stage has a better experience than the people in the audience. Well, let me give you. Let me give you. Solving that problem as I go. Yeah, let me give you some more data points for what it's worth, and then you can respond to them. So we get home, right? And unbeknownst to me, my oldest daughter had told my wife that what had happened, right? And so um, uh, Quinn wants to talk to. Sarah tell his mom about this amazing experience that he had. So he tells her the whole story, right? And he's super excited and still absolutely blown away. And I don't know what to do, right? So I said, Quinn, do you want to watch the video? And he goes, yeah, I do. This is not to make fun of you. Quinn, you were convinced you were invisible, weren't you? Yeah. You would have been convinced. I, I, I wanted to be at him so bad. So, okay. Skip, skip. Right here. Okay, shh. Okay. One, two, three. still had that experience um or just tell me how you're feeling 
good. It was funny when I heard uh, when I heard about it. Like it was, I felt betrayed at first, and I'm like, oh, it's kind of funny, because I didn't know and I acted all of that. It was kind of funny after I no rumor. Well, no, let's let's try to go back. Let's just try to just close your eyes for a second. I'm being serious. I'm not gonna play a joke on you. Close your eyes. Think about when you were sitting in the chair, okay? And Nate was getting you to say the number, and you said the number, and we all started cheering. How did do you? How do you feel? What kind of words come to mind? Do you remember that moment? I do. How did you feel? Well, I was just really astonished that it, in quotations, worked. Well, what was your feeling? Like, were you just like surprised? Really surprised and did astonished. It, did it feel kind of cool? Yeah. Okay. Now let's go back to that moment when Nate counted down and then pulled the sheet out. And you looked around, and we were going crazy, and another gal wasn't there. What did you feel for that moment? Like, what did you think? Same thing. I was very surprised. Was it surprised, or you were just, or was it like cool or awesome? It was or? cool. And I was so confused because I was like, "Wow." Did you, for a second, just consider the fact that maybe you were invisible? Mm, yeah. No, don't be don't be embarrassed. I mean, I know. No, no, but kind of, yeah, mostly. Okay. Well, hey, I'm I'm really proud of you. Um, I know that when you first found out, you were kind of. What, what was your emotions like? Betrayed. Betrayed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you feel what? Did you feel like dumb or? I was mad that I, I wish you just told me in the car. Yeah, okay, so perhaps Jackson and I sold it a little too hard, yeah. so I, I, I get that that's on us. But um, what about the, just kind of that, that moment when it happened? Did, did, when you walked off the stage, I have it on video, you were like smiling ear to ear, and you're like, we're astonished. Like, was that a cool experience? Mm-hmm. So was that, did that experience, that moment, did it make it all worth it? They can't see your head shaking. What, what was your answer? Yeah. Yeah? Because honestly, like, I would have, I was envious of that moment. Even though I knew, like, you know, we were trying to manufacture this moment for you, I thought, man, I can't remember a moment where I really maybe thought that was possible. That had to be pretty special. Mm-hmm. Would you agree or no? Yeah, I agree. Awesome. Well, thanks, hey, for being on the show. Uh, I love you. Love you, too. So just a couple of thoughts. I'm, I'm fascinated to hear all of this. You'll remember um, another line in the show uh, was that, and, and maybe this is the line you were referencing. I've handled it a, a few different ways. But the thought that the people who um, are with the spectator on stage, you know, they are the guides. Um, they are the ones who should decide when it's time to pull the curtain back on the illusion. And I think filming it filming the whole thing is a really good way of handling that because then it's a way to share the full story with the person who's there on stage. You know, I do think that um, not having any animosity towards the performer is setting the bar pretty, pretty low. You know, there's got to be a way to structure this piece so that even after the whole, even after the whole, um, story is told to the person who who has this experience it remains it remains a positive one 
But, you know, the, the closest thing I can relate this to is this is the Santa Claus problem. This is the, just for an older, for an older kid, you know, for an older um, participant. But it's the same challenge that parents face when talking to their kids about Santa Claus. How long do you keep that illusion going? And how well can you transition the Santa Claus um, story into, um, you know, what I think it's always supposed to have been from the beginning, which is this sort of poetic um, metaphor for the actual spirit of Christmas. And, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm still experimenting with this, and you know, I'm certainly open to ideas, but I think that I think the fundamental idea is worth worth exploring for sure. Oh, I agree. And and you know the the one thing that I found found interesting is, you know, just to kind of add to this as you think more through it. You know, Quinn is thirteen. You know, um, he, uh, you know, he's he's six three. So people think you know he's older than he is, but he's just still a, you know just still a boy. And um, he is so excited about this and, and um, was excited to do this with his brother and his dad and, and um, to be with someone his dad knows. And, and um, I think that, uh, you know, um, when I say not having animosity towards you, it's, it's I don't, that was a, a um, bad turn of phrase. It was more of, you know, I really wanted him, he did not regret the experience at all. Um, in fact, um, I think what he really wished is that it actually would have happened, that it was really yeah. true. He wanted it to be true. Um, and I thought that was kind of really beautiful and wonder-filled. I think, there's, I think there's something really rich in what you just said, because I think so much of the, the trouble that uh, magic has in our culture um, lies just behind that point that the audience wants it to be real they don't want it to be true or real in a metaphorical sense or in a poetic sense they want it to actually be true they want to grow up and discover that you know their parents were wrong that santa claus really does come down the chimney um that that despite everything uh, there is such a thing as real magic and i think i think some of the anger towards magicians in our culture comes from from that point that you know, the audience it's not that the audience doesn't want magic it's that they want it so badly and have already decided that it's not out there and here comes the magician who, who is suggesting to them that maybe they've just been looking in the wrong place and I don't know what to do with that but um, I think that's I think you know if if this whole question is a lock that's what the key looks like Wills, I just want to close by just saying thank you to all of our guests for sharing time, stories, and their encouragement with all of us. Season four is going to be incredible. We can't wait to share more stories of people in process. Big thanks to Sleeping at Last for providing the music to design of, and look for his latest songs inspired by the Enneagram types, which he'll be releasing soon. Design of's audio engineer is Steve Wick. You know, Justin, he's just like a phone call from a good friend catching up on everything that's been going on. So true. I don't know what you want. I can tell you I don't have money, but what I do have are a very particular set of skills. You can follow us on Twitter at Design of Podcast, SoundCloud, or find us on iTunes. 
Please don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Those five-star reviews really mean a ton, and they help us share the show with even more people. Check out our website at rule29.com slash designofpodcast. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Nice job, Wills. Thanks.